0: Well once again it's uh, it 's a joy to be with you we 're going to be looking at at the topic of forgiveness this evening, and I think we all recognize that it 's a, a very important topic. but last evening we looked at an extremely foundational topic, and that was our identity, who we are in christ and what I would like us to see in the beginning of the teaching here is that Forgiveness. Forgiveness depends tremendously uh, on, on our identity. Our identity in Christ has a huge impact on our capacity to forgive. And what we're going to do, if you remember last evening, we looked at how Paul divides his writings into positional truth and practical life application. Well, what we're going to do here is go to the practical life application found in Ephesians chapter 4, where he begins in the very start. He says, Well, I I put this up here Ephesians 1, 2, and 3 is positional truth. Ephesians 4, 5, and 6 is living out our position in everyday life. And so we have the first verse there as a prisoner for the Lord, then, which says, Now, because of who you are, because of your identity, this is what, how you are to live. This is what it looks like in fleshed out in everyday life. I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. That speaks of, of bearing God's name accurately. And, you know, it says, don't take the name of the Lord your God in vain. No, we're to take his name and represent him accurately. And that's what, that's what this positional, uh, not positional, but practical life application or how do we live this out in everyday life? And so this is this is the cart of grateful obedience. Not this is not law. In fact, Paul says, I urge you. He says I don't command you. He says I'm urging you. This is the way this should look because you have your identity in Christ. So, look what he says here in Ephesians 4 starting at verse 21. Surely you heard of him and were taught in him, in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off that old self, with regard, uh, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. That's a whole topic on its, its own. But to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self. So I put the highlight up there. Look what, it, look what that highlight would say. If you read it, it, you were taught to put on the new self. Paul's saying, I have been teaching you to put on the new man. And this, and this is what it looks like. Created to be, and here we go, here's that bearing God's image. Here is being a representative of who he is. Created to be like God. You see, isn't that amazing? I, I think what we do is we sort of downplay... What it means to be created in God's image and what it means to be a new creature in Christ Jesus, that new man is to be like God. Oh, you know, none of us want to claim Godlikeness, do we? But Paul's saying we need to. We need to represent Him accurately. To be to be honest and, and truthful and pure and holy and right living. Are we we ever as perfect as God? No, no. But that should be our goal, and it's who we should be as our inner person. That's why we are to put to death and put off that old man. And then put on the new. Created to be like God. Okay, isn't that amazing? Therefore, now the therefore is because you were created to be like God, each of you must put off falsehood, speak truthfully to his neighbor, for... We are all members of one body. Tell me, tell me what body we're part of. What body are we part of? The body of, the body of Christ. And you are the body of Christ, Romans 12 says. No, 1 Corinthians 12 says, you are the body of Christ. Well, I'd love to go on a bunny trail on that one. We, we, we're going we're gonna to be, be stretched for time anyway, so we better keep rolling. But to be the body of Christ... Uh, isn't it, it yeah I want to go there and I to stay away from it okay uh, but it says we're all members of one body you see we're brothers and sisters but we are the body of Christ we okay if you're the body of Christ that means him and act like him right we're his hands and his feet we are his we're his representation here on earth okay in your anger don't sin he doesn't say don't be angry He says, be angry at the right things. Don't sin in your anger. So he's telling us, be careful when you're angry. Don't sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. In other words, resolve your conflicts. Resolve your difference. Do not give the devil a foothold. You go to bed angry, you're giving him a foothold. He who has been stealing, must steal no longer. He must work, being useful, okay? Doing doing things that are profitable. But look how he ends this chapter Ephesians 3, 4.32, he says, Be kind and compassionate one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as in Christ God forgave you. Wow. Now, you know what happens is so often we see these commands, and we, you know, here on these, here's a whole list of things we're to do, and, and they seem like commands, and he's saying, No, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. And then we sort of handle this this way. Now, Jason, now you you got to quit that. that that that's been bad news you got to quit that you you got to quit acting that way you got to quit talking that way and we sort of we sort of try and talk to ourselves about not not being that way not doing that way and no that's not the answer the answer is gazing at Jesus and understanding that you are you are in his image okay i was just looking at leon's sons and you know you can't deny your sons leon okay because they have your they have a lot of your nature a lot of your, and and I look like my dad okay I look a lot like my dad why it's because we we're, and, and so we're to look a lot like Jesus when people see us that's what we're supposed to do we're supposed to look a lot like Jesus and so what we need to do is in forgiveness here in in this forgiveness what we're supposed to do is is look at who we are understand that I am his child I'm to represent him and in forgiveness I need to gaze at the cross. I need to gaze at Jesus on the cross and say, on the cross, he forgave me of all of my sin. And I need to gaze at that forgiving Jesus so that I can forgive other people. It's gazing at Jesus, gazing and understanding that I am his child. And I must take on his nature. So I see that a lot of people are bound by pain and bound by resentment. So here, looking back, Ezekiel says the fathers ate sour grapes and the children's teeth were set on edge. I spent several hours with a person this afternoon. And probably an hour in this morning with another person. And I didn't, you know, my day was full enough. But I have a hard time saying no to people who were hurting. And and then just listening and sitting there and listening, I was hearing so much hurt and pain. And, and so we had to go back and, and find out where that pain come from. And, you know, it's it, it, so much of it, I told you, I mentioned before how that so much of what we deal with is, is gener- generational iniquities that are being passed on from generation to generation. That's what I was dealing with today. That's what I was dealing with today. I won't go into details. But God says... No longer will you use this statement anymore. He says this back in Ezekiel. You're not going to use this proverb anymore. The fathers have eaten sour grapes and have set the children's teeth on edge. He says, no, everybody is responsible for their own actions. Don't blame your parents is what he's saying. Don't blame your parents. Accept the responsibility. My response to what's happening to me in life is my responsibility. And your response to what's happening to you in life is your responsibility. Don't blame the past. I see that the past is the cause for a lot of this, so then what I try and do is help people understand why, ask Jesus to heal that, but speak truth into the lies that Satan gets them to believe so that they can heal but another huge aspect of this is forgiveness. Huge part of this is forgiveness. And we're going to look at how Jesus de- defines forgiveness. Here's a picture of my dad, okay? Uh, when we go to reunions, people, people tell me that I resemble my dad. In fact, uh, Eddie told me the other night that when, the more I stood up here and taught, the more I, he saw Lloyd in me. Well, he's good looking, right? Okay, never mind, okay. <laughs> but that's my dad when he was a young man, okay? But here, I want, I want to tell you what, my dad worked for me for years. He was on the road a lot, and then I, I tried to rescue my dad off the road, and, and, and I hired him at Ebling's, and, and he worked for me for years, and he was actually killed on his way to work in front of the Town Mennonite School in 1992, I think it was. Okay, uh, In fact, yeah. Uh, but he was, when my, when, that's, my that's my great-grandpa. No, it's not my great-grandpa. It's my grandpa. It's my grandpa and my grandma. It's my dad's parents. But my dad was 62 years old when his dad died. And I want you to hear, to hear, what, you to hear what my dad said. My dad said when his dad died, he said, finally, I am free. Wow. He said, finally, I am free. And I, I didn't understand that. So years later I was with my two of his brothers out in Kansas. And I, I said, My dad said before, you know, and when, when grandpa died that finally I'm free. And his, his one brother, both his brothers said, Yeah, we understand that. Doesn't ma- didn't matter how far we moved away from dad, he could still reach out and grab us. You see, their dad grandpa was was not a kind he was people thought he was great he was a minister he was an he was a a, a bishop in, in the church but you know i didn't like him do you know why i didn't like him i was this little guy and he was he lived in iowa and when we go home to visit him whenever he'd get close to me he'd reach out and he'd pinch me now tell me why a grandpa would pinch his grandchild you tell me that and i said that to some of my cousins they said yeah did he did that to them too you know, that is not what we were trying to talk about Monday night, okay? I'm just telling you. So my dad, my dad said, finally, I'm free. And, you know, I, dad worked for me, and I would go back, and I'd watch him, and, and everybody thought my dad was a, a pretty kind person. I, I don't know what you saw, Ed, but they, they, they liked my dad. He was a little bit different. But I would see my dad while he was standing at the, at the bench sharpening chains or, 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 or lawnmower blades or whatever, And I would see him sometimes clench his fist and and shake with anger. And I hadn't I hadn't I was a young young, a lot younger man. I hadn't started even thinking about counseling at that point. But I wish I knew then what I knew now. I would have tried to help my dad get free, because he wasn't free. He said, "Finally, I'm free," but he wasn't. He was still bound. He was still bound by anger and 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 uh, and and bitterness. You know, the powerful truth of forgiveness, it goes against our natural inclinations. It's not natural to forgive. It's natural to hold grievances and, and, and anger and frustration. And here's a, very, here's a key that you want to pay attention to as we go through this teaching. As long as there is this sense of, they owe me. Do you ever hear somebody say, they owe me? Yeah. As long as there's a sense of, they owe me, there cannot be healing. And it's because of the way Jesus defines forgiveness. And and oftentimes our assumption is this, that if we forgive somebody, we're doing them a favor. If we forgive somebody, we're doing them a favor. Do you you think that's true? But you see, Jesus turns this thing around, and he says, no, when you forgive somebody, you're doing yourself a a, a favor. And we need to see that. That's so important. So important. We, we pray this prayer over and over again, don't we? Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. That's an important statement. That's an important statement. Lord, how often shall I forgive my brother? Seven times. And Jesus says, how about don't keep in count? How about if you don't keep count? You know, seven, seven, 70 times seven or seven times, but not 70 times seven, yeah. He says, don't, don't keep track of it. Yeah, don't, don't try and count out. I think Peter had somebody in mind when he asked that question. Yeah, thinking about Peter's nature, I, ha- I think he had somebody in mind. I bet he had a few people in mind, in fact. So he was asking Jesus this. So here is Matthew 18, and this is forgiveness. This is how Jesus, Je- Peter asked Jesus this question, and Jesus goes into telling this story. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like... A king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And as he began the settlement, a man who owed him. Okay? As long as there's this sense of debt owed, we can't heal. But a man who owed him. It's so important to see the wording in in this. 10,000 talents was brought to him. Do you ever try and put a dollar amount? I've heard many people put dollar amounts to that. But at a servant's wages, it would have taken at least two lifetimes to pay this bill back to pay this debt back. So what that amounts to, it was, here it says, since he was not able to pay. See, that's so important to see. He was not able to pay. The master ordered him, he and his wife, and his children, and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. So he was going to experience total devastation because he was going to get sold. And he, probably, the the wife would go one place, the children would go to the other place, he would go another place, his wheelbarrow would go another place. All his He was going to be liquidated. And back then, a servant didn't necessarily stay with his family. His family got liquidated, too. He was going to experience total devastation. So what did he do? But you see, what it was, and here as we look at forgiveness, he finds Jesus is saying it was an unpayable debt. So important for us to see that. It was an unpayable debt. He could not pay it back. The servant fell on his knees, and look what he says. Have patience with me, he begged. I will pay back everything. And that was an impossibility. The king knew it was an impossibility. So he was going to lo- cut his losses and, and take what he could get out of him and move on. But look what happens. Do you remember when we looked at, at our wrong concepts of God two nights ago? What was the number one word that, that, that God used to describe himself? Who can remember that? Number one word that God used to describe himself? Merciful. Merciful. Yes. And here, look what it says. The servant's master, because you see, Jesus is telling this story and what he's telling and he's talking, he's, this king is, this master is God himself and he's talking about us. The servant's master had compassion on him and look what he did. What did he do? It doesn't say he forgave him. It says he canceled the debt. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. So when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred pence. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay me what you owe, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me, I'll pay you back. Now here's the interesting thing is, at a a servant's wages, this hundred pence would have been about two months wages, approximately. And that was a payable debt. But he refused. Instead of having compassion on him, he instead he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt, which is sort of ridiculous. You put somebody in prison, how can they work to pay the debt off? Well, the fellow servants went back and told the master. And they, said what, they told him what happened. And the master called the servant in. And the master said, you wicked servant. He said, I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? That's an important statement there. Just as I had on you. In anger, his master turned him over to the tormentors to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. I have a question for you now. How much did he owe? How much did he owe? Nothing. It was canceled. Okay, nothing, it was canceled. But the master turned him in over to the jailers to be tormented until he paid back all he owed. So he must have owed something. What did he owe? Thank you, though. I was setting you up. He owed two months' wages. He owed 100 pence. He owed to cancel his fellow servant's debt. I used to think that the original debt was put back on him, but it says the debt was canceled. And once the debt's canceled, you don't put that back on. But he says, shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? And shouldn't have you canceled his debt? But he didn't. He threw him in the debtor's prison. Now here's what's interesting. He turned, he turned in anger, his master turned him over to the tormentors to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. You know, my dad was being tortured. That anger, his shaking, his frustration, and that was after his dad died. But he said, Finally, I'm free. You know, he wasn't free. He was still bound by anger. He was still bound by the resentment that he held toward his dad. When we don't forgive somebody, when we don't cancel their debt, we are the one being tormented. And God, God intends for it to be that way. We're the ones. Do you ever watch people who, aren't, who are holding bitterness? People who are bitter and angry and don't forgive? They're the ones who are, who are tortured and, and, and hurting. And they're in bondage. And not only that, when you're, when you're not forgiving people, your health suffers your health suffers because your body can't handle it and it starts secreting hormones that are gonna, or, and, and chemicals that are going to damage your body because of your bitterness and anger. When you're bitter, well, we'll get there. Now look what he says, because now he's going to address us here. This is how my Heavenly Father will treat you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. So what is forgiveness? Forgiveness is canceling debt. You can't forgive what somebody does to you. You have to forgive what they stole from you when they did what they did to you. Let's keep going. I've we'll, we'll, got, got a story here for you. But Jesus defines forgiveness as canceled debt. You don't owe me anymore because on the cross, he paid in full the price of what we owed for our failures and our sin. He paid it all. He stretched his arms and said, I'll cover it, Father. Father and he covered our debt totally and completely. Isn't that that awesome? You see, as followers of Jesus, you and I have lost our right to not forgive at Calvary because he forgave all our sins, and he paid the ultimate price. And he's saying, my Father will also do to you, I'll turn you over to the tormentors unless you model my forgiveness like I forgave you. You see, we're to, be, we're to be representatives, we're to act like Jesus, and he paid our price by forgiving and canceling our debt, so we in turn, we've lost our right not to cancel people's debt on Calvary, at Calvary. The most, and this is on your handout, but you can look at it up here, the most creative power given to the human spirit is the power to heal the wounds of a past that cannot change. You see, if a debt is incurred because of what happened in the past, that's an unpayable debt because somebody who did something to you in the past, they can't go back and undo that. If you steal something from somebody, you can sometimes pay that back. But if it's, if it's uh, an emotional damage or something they did with their words or their actions or, or cheated you or ruined your reputation, they can't, they can't restore that. They can't, they can't pay you back. It's an unpayable debt. And so if you can't, you can't heal the wounds of a past that can't change, then you have to cancel that debt. When I, when I bought Ebling's Service Plus from my grandfather, David Ebling, the business used to be out behind the Bethel School on the way up to Zimmerman's on the first farm on the left. Some old people might remember that. But, but I moved it into Myerstown here. And when I bought that from Grandpa, I inherited this box. And in that box was a whole pile of unpaid bills. And I kept that in my office every, every (laughs) once in a many years, somebody would come in, and I might find a bill in there, and they would pay it. But you know what? There was thousands of dollars in there. And you know what? That box irked me because they didn't pay grandpa, and I bought the business, and now they owed me, right? And finally, I decided, you know what? This is totally stupid. Having that box sit there reminding me that people owe me money, and I, I went, and I threw it in the dumpster. And it felt so good. Because now I didn't have a record of that, of that money they owed me. And I, I let go of it. I let go of it, I released it. That was sort of a forgiveness even though I, yeah. We do our forgiving alone inside our hearts and minds. What happens to the people we forgive is their decision. When you forgive somebody it's their, they, how they respond is their, their business. And I, I tell people, Whatever you do, when you forgive somebody, don't go up to them and say, Hey, Kervin, I forgave you. <laughs> oh, you didn't do anything to me, but anyway. Don't, don't do that. Because, you know, for the most part, many people, they're going to say, You forgave me? What for? What did I do to you? Okay, And then you're going, Uh-oh, now we're in trouble. You see, when you tell somebody you forgive them, you put yourself up here and them down here. I, I did you a favor. I forgave you don't do that. Forgive them, cancel their debt, and then treat them like they're forgiven. You see, that's the best thing that you can possibly do. Treat them like they're forgiven. Don't remind them of what they did and tell them that you forgave them. Just treat them like they're forgiven. Now, if they come and ask you to forgive, forgive you, then it's fine to say, yes, I forgive you. It's okay to tell them you forgive them then. But if they're not coming to ask you still need to forgive them. You do that on your own in your heart. What they do is their business, but don't go tell them I've forgiven you. I've, I've heard people do that many times. It usually backfires. It usually doesn't work well. So I'm just telling you in advance, you probably don't do that. I, in fact, I'm saying I, I would highly un- not recommend that. But the first person to benefit from forgiving is the one who forgives. That's the first person who benefits. Forgiving does not require us to reunite with the person who broke our trust. Now, there's a couple things here that we sometimes struggle with and we don't understand about forgiveness. When when we forgive somebody, it doesn't mean we give them their job back. It doesn't mean, for example, if somebody broke our trust and we forgive them, it doesn't mean that now we trust them. If you have an employee who's working for you and they're taking money out of the cash register, you might forgive them And you might not even fire them, but you don't let them run the cash register some more because they have a problem with stealing. If you've had an uncle or an aunt or parents or grandparents who molested a child, you don't let them babysit your children. Do you hear that? You don't give them their job back. You don't trust them with that. I run into that often when a, a, a relative, an older relative, has... Has has been a molester, and now the parents feel, like, or the the parents who have children feel like they gotta let grandpa and grandma keep their child because their grandpa and grandma. No, no, you are responsible for your children's safety. Okay, you don't necessarily give them their job back. You don't necessarily trust them. Now, if you're going to be present with them, they can be together. That's, you know, that's another whole story. But you don't let them babysit. You don't let them be alone with children if they have a history of a problem. Okay. Forgiving does not require us to reunite with the person who broke our trust. Forgiving one who breaks a trust doesn't mean we give them their job back. We do not forgive because we're supposed to. We forgive when we're ready to be healed. Wow. Wow. It's pretty serious. We forgive when we are ready to be healed. Waiting for somebody to repent before we forgive is to surrender our future to the person who wronged us. I watch so many people allow other people. When you don't forgive people and you're holding a grudge and you, they owe me, guess what? You are being controlled by other people. The person you're not forgiving is controlling your attitude, controlling your spirit, causing you to be angry, causing you to be bitter, and guess what happens? That spills over into the people around you. It contaminates the people around you. Do you understand how Jesus Jesus has the answer? He adopts us as his children. He gives us the example of forgiveness, and he asks us to embrace that. Forgiving is the only way to be fair to ourselves. And you've heard this one many times. Not forgiving is drinking poison and waiting for the other person to die. You yeah, know, that's... That's pretty important, you know. But that's what we do. When we forgive, when we forgive, we set the prisoner free only to discover that the prisoner was me. Wow. See, my dad was still in prison. I wish I could have helped him get free. I've since, then I've helped a lot of people get free by by embracing the forgiveness that Jesus wants them to, to embrace with other people and to show them how much they've been forgiven. When we forgive, we walk in step with the forgiving God. Wow. So, canceling debt. What we have to do is, and you know, I forgot another handout. I wanted to bring a handout, and it slipped my mind. But I'll have it up here. I'll have the diagram up here, and then uh, maybe I could bring the handouts tomorrow night for it, and then you, you could pick them up. But what you need to do is identify specifically what has been taken from us. We try to forgive an event, the action that caused the hurt. I'm going to tell you a story. This has happened many years ago. But I spent hours and hours and hours working with a young lady. And her parents, her, her grandparents, live in this surrounding area. But her parents had moved out of state. But they would come home on holidays. And so they would stay at Grandpa and Grandma's place. His da- her dad's parents. And she had a room to herself and what would happen is, is she was when she was five years old, her dad's younger brother would come visit her bedroom. And he started having intercourse with her when she was five years old. That continued for years. She said that when I would hear his footsteps coming back the hall, she goes, I would leave. Now tomorrow night we want to look at a, a topic that's going to explain what that means. Her body didn't leave, but her spirit and soul went and did something else because she couldn't handle what was going to happen. She said, I would be terrified and I would leave. So that continued for quite a while. It, it totally devastated her life. It, 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 it created all kinds of problems in her life. Because now when I was talking to her, she was in her upper 20s, had had several children, was not married. Um, she wanted to get married. We sat down and she told us this story to Grace and I. And she wanted, she wanted, me to, she wanted us to meet with her and her boyfriend to go over premarital counseling with, with her and him. And I said, well, how about if just you would come? Because I knew that there were some things that needed to be uncorked. And when she came, she told us, and, and you know, Grace and I and her, we were sitting in this room just crying. We, all of us were crying that, because the story was just, just horrendous because it just went on and on and on, and it, and it kept on having more, more little fingers and ten, tentacles that reached out. And it created huge amounts of problems for her. So now, this is years later. This happened when she was young. I happened to know her uncle, the one who did this, and he is now in ministry. And I asked her, and she told me, she goes, my, now I want you to hear this, okay? This is what, I want you to get the lesson for this. She said, my uncle came and asked me for forgiveness for what he did to me. And she goes, I said so did you forgive him she goes yeah but she goes I can't stand him whenever he shows up I physically leave I get out of there so I knew her uncle so I called him up and said hey could we have breakfast together he goes sure Jason so we met here at country fair this is many years ago and so we sat there and I said well I've been meeting with your niece and she told me what went on years ago and she also said that you came and asked her for forgiveness. And and I said, would you be I would, I would just like to talk to you a little bit about how Jesus defines forgiveness in Matthew 18 as canceling debt. And so we, I went over this teaching with him, not with us, I just 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 talking across the table. And I said, so would you consider going back to her and asking her for forgiveness for what you stole from her? And so I said, you know, what you, what, and, and so what did he steal from her when he did that? Well, he stole her purity. He stole her childhood. He stole a lot of her future. He stole her reputation. He, 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 I think we came up with like five or six things that he would have stolen from her. And he looks at me with, with you know, grieving, and he says, he says, Jason, I can do that, and I will do that. But I need to go home and heal my wife first. And I had no idea what that meant. I didn't ask. Four months later, nothing had happened because I was, had been meeting with her, working through things, and I was teaching her how to cancel that debt even without him coming. But I was getting pretty frustrated because he told me he was going to come, and he didn't. Well, another minister and his wife and grace and i went to the philadelphia flower show and we were walking through the flower show and my my phone buzzed in my pocket and i opened it up and and it said uh, it said dad she called us dad mom she goes dad pray for me my uncle's coming to see me at five o'clock pray that i don't flip out on him about five minutes later i got it buzzed again and i looked again and it said it said uh jason pray for me i'm going to see my niece at five o'clock And at 5 o'clock, the four of us found a table, and we sat down, held hands, and we prayed for what was taking place at at that time. About two hours later, I got got a message saying, Dad, I can't wait to talk to you and tell you what happened. You know what? She was free because he went back, and this is rare. It's really rare that something like this happens, but he went back, and he asked her to forgive him for the pain and everything that he caused her. You see... The, the debt is the emotional pain that stays inside because of what somebody did to us. And after that, she was free. She would even go to church with him, which was really interesting. It, it was just—it was—it was a beautiful picture. I'm telling you of a success story. It was—it was just beautiful. It was a biblical picture, and and it's 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 ongoing, which is really really great. But, see, you can't forgive. He asked for forgiveness for what he did to her, and the pain stayed there. She couldn't stand him. When, she, when he went back, and he connected with tears in his eyes, he, he went back, and he was, in cry, he was crying, and he said, can you possibly forgive me for what I, I, I stole your childhood? He went down through, he, he, he mentioned what he stole from her. And she canceled his debt, and the pain went away. The consequences Remain. You don't always, you don't some consequences you're never going to get rid of. But but the pain went away. That, that, that was an amazing story. I love that story. But we try to forgive an event, the action that caused the hurt. It doesn't work. The anger, the depression, the pain, the medicating continues. We need to identify what was stolen from us, what specifically does this person owe me, not what they did to me. Then forgiveness says. I cancel your debt. You don't owe me anymore. That's forgiveness. That's how Jesus defines forgiveness. It's canceled debt. You have to, when somebody, when you're, right now, you might be, there's almost everyone has something that they need to forgive somebody for. But if you have that, if that's happening in your life right now, you need to ask, when they did that, what did it take from me? What, what, what's this debt that they owe me? And you, and you can usually figure it out. Sometimes when I'm sitting with somebody working through some of these things, I help them figure out. I say, well, did it, did it take this from you? Yeah. What about this? No. How about this? Yeah. You see, you, you start going down through the list, and, and you can write down that debt. We'll talk more about that, okay? Okay. Why do we struggle with forgiving? Now, here's—I I told you last night—we're going to bring Ephesians' identity over into forgiveness, and this is really crucial. It's it, to me—it's so important. Why do we struggle with forgiving? Why can't we forgive? Why can't we? And I think here's the answer. Every time when if, if it's a debt and you have got to cancel the debt, you have to ask the question: How much does that person owe me? How much would you? What price would you put on that girl's? Pain and hurt. What would you put on there? So there's a hundred thousand dollars. Would that cover your offense, or would it be a million, or would it be ten million? What would it be? Okay. But here's here's the interesting thing: is if you, if there's a hundred thousand dollars on the one side, that's the offense. But if you only have five hundred dollars in your spiritual bank account, you cannot cancel that debt. If you have a if you bought a new car or a used car, paid, paid $20,000 for it, and you didn't have insurance on it, and somebody crashed into you, and they didn't have insurance on it, and they didn't have any money, who's gonna pay the debt? Well, they, can, they can't pay it. You don't have insurance on it. Guess who, you're, you're going to absorb that pain. You're gonna absorb that debt. You're, you're gonna take the loss. You're gonna take that loss. And so if you only have $500, if you don't have enough money in your bank account to go buy another car, that's going to be really, really painful. You can't cover it. You can't cover it. And what if you still have a loan on it? And you still owe on it. You're going to be paying for a totaled car for years that it wasn't your fault. But if you only have $500 in your spiritual bank account, you can't cancel the debt if it's $100,000 or whatever it is. So here, look what, remember this from last night? I keep asking the glorious Father that the eyes of your heart may be opened or enlightened in order that you may know, and then it gave three things, hope, riches, and power. Here's riches. In order that you might know the riches of his glorious inheritance for us who believe. So how wealthy are you? How wealthy are you? What's your spiritual value? You see, it's that riches of a glorious inheritance. And if we go over to Romans 8, it says, Now, if we are children, then we're heirs, heirs of God, joint heirs with Christ. What does it mean to be a joint heir? What does it mean to be a joint heir? You're going to inherit everything they inherit, right? We're going to inherit everything that Christ inherits. and, And God is the father. He's the king. How much does he owe? How much does he own? How much is he worth? Well, the cattle on a thousand hills are his. Everything is his. Yeah. You see, here's the whole thing. If, if you're going to be a joint heir with Christ and you're going to inherit everything that he is, you are, a, you are a multi-billion, zillion, trillionaire. And it doesn't matter what somebody did to you. It's pocket change compared to how much you are worth in Christ. In Christ, you have incredible riches and Paul is saying, I pray that the eyes of your understanding would be open in order that you can know how wealthy you are in Christ so that if canceling debt is forgiveness, you can cancel anybody's debt because it's pocket change compared to how much you are worth in Christ. Does that make any sense? That to me is so illuminating that we're have, we going to inherit everything. We, we don't have to hold on to anger, we don't have to be bitter, we don't have, we can cancel people's debt. They don't owe me anymore. It doesn't make it easy. Because whenever you cancel a debt, you are going to pay the emotional price for it. Somebody always, whenever you cancel debt, somebody has to bear the burden of that debt. And if it's an emotional pain, you're going to have to be willing to bear the emotional pain of canceling that debt. Because Jesus bore our pain on his body on the tree so that we could be free. And when we set other people free by canceling debt, we have to be willing to bear the emotional pain of that. And after a while, we all of a sudden we realize when we've canceled that debt, it might feel heavy for a while, but after a while you start realizing you're free too. You're no longer being tormented because you're no longer holding a grudge. But here's something else you need to remember. Forgiveness is a way of life. It's not something you do. Can you hear that? Forgiveness is a way of life. It's not something you do. A good marriage is a marriage of two forgivers because you have to forgive each other over and over again. It's a way of life. It's not something you do. Yes, sometimes you do it. And then Sometimes you actually take the steps to forgive somebody by figuring out what they owe you and you cancel that debt. But here's the whole thing. When you see them the next time, you might go, yeah, and you have to cancel the debt all over again. Or you have to remind yourself that you canceled the debt. Or you might have to tell Jesus that you canceled that debt. Jesus, give me the grace to keep walking without getting bitter and angry at them. I went through two church splits and I was in church leadership in the one of them. And it was horribly painful. It was horribly painful. And I stayed home from church angry and bitter for a year. Okay, You're hearing me bear my heart. This teaching came out of my pain. David says, if only it was the enemy that betrayed me. But it was my, it was my friend. It was the one who went to church with. And that's how it felt. It was the, it was the brothers that I, I served in ministry with. And I felt so betrayed and so hurt. And I didn't know how to cancel the debt. I wasn't taught these things. I didn't understand. I knew I had to forgive them, but how do you forgive? Well, you try and say, well, yeah, I forgave them, but you didn't. And every time you see them, it's, yeah. You know what's interesting? You go through a church split. and You go through, you, Dutch, you're going through Dutch Way and you're shopping, and here comes one of them up the aisle. and Do you know what would happen? They would turn around, head down, and go down a different aisle. It was that bad. It was that ugly. It, it was horrible. Yeah, you know, there was Eddie and Linda. Remember that, okay? Don't you? Some of that, maybe not, a little bit. That was painful because, yeah. But I had to learn. I had to understand. That I had to cancel that. And, you, and when I, I, had a, I, had a man come into my life who taught me these, some of these principles. Oh, wow, that's a whole other story. Yeah, I'm going to tell it to you. Okay, during that time, during that time, it's, how many of you know Ebling Service Plus? You know where Ebling Service Plus is? The lawnmower shop? Okay. That, my grandfather started that in 1943. I bought it in 1978, nine, moved it into Town in the early 80s. Uh, ran it for years. But I want to tell you something. In the time we were going through those church splits, I was so angry and so bitter. I I had lost focus on the business. And two years in a row we my my earnings, if you look at my social security printout, there was no earnings. It was because of my anger and my bitterness. I was not I, I couldn't focus on the business. I was so caught up in my anger and my bitterness. And and while I was I remember one time this this blonde-haired, big guy comes walking in, and, he, and we had this goofy access, accent, and he said, he said, I would like to buy a mower. He said, just a push mower, just simple push mower. And I said, yeah, I just traded one in. Let me show it to you. And I took him back, and I was showing him this lawnmower, and it was really a nice lawnmower. And that man proceeded to chew me down and chew me down and chew me down, worse than a Mennonite. Can you imagine that? No, I'm sorry, did I say that? <laughs> Forgive me. But he kept on chewing me and chewing me and chewing me, and it made, and I was already angry. I was already angry and bitter. And I finally looked at him. I said, "You know what? I don't care what I don't care what you'd pay me for that lawnmower. I won't sell it to you." And I turned around and walked off. That's the way you stay in business. The next day, the next day, that man came walking in again. I saw him come walking in again. I go, "Oh no!" And he comes walking right up to me. He says, "I don't." He says, "Whatever you want for that lawnmower, I'll pay you for it. Whatever you want." He says. He said, I came to ask your forgiveness. He said, I was on the mission field for years, and I was in Mexico, and you never pay the asking price. You chew people down to the bottom dollar. I was treating you like a Mexican, and I've got to learn what it's like to live in America. And, and, and he asked for forgiveness. You know what? I went out for breakfast that man at Country Fair every Wednesday for a year, and that man discipled me. And he was not an Anabaptist, but he taught me how to... Forgive and cancel debt. And I went back to the church where I hadn't gone to for quite a while, and I asked the leader who was a friend of mine if I could make make a confession, and I stood up. And here's another thing. When you ask somebody for forgiveness, this is so key, brothers, sisters, when you ask somebody for forgiveness, don't bring up their part of it. Don't bring up their part of it. You could say, well, 50% was mine and 50% was yours, so I'll, I'll ask you for forgiveness for 50%. No, no, no. It does not work. Jesus wants you, He wants us to absorb 100% of our part, and we don't even bring their part up. Okay? Jesus, don't bring our part up. He canceled our debt. And so when I went down there, I could have told you why 90% was their problem and maybe, no, 98% was their problem, 2%. No, 99 okay. You see, I could have told you why it was their problem and not mine. But what the conviction I came under in learning this lesson was that I needed to go down there and I need to accept the responsibility for my behavior and the way I handled things there and, and caused huge amounts of problems and hurt and pain. And I went down there and I just simply said... I want to ask your forgiveness. I was one of your leaders. I, I was a poor example of leadership. I hurt many of you. I hurt all of you by my, my poor choice of words and decisions. And I'm here to tell you that I've asked God for forgiveness. I'm here to ask you for forgiveness. And I'm asking that you would, could possibly forgive me, find a place in your heart to forgive me. And... Policy in our churches that if you ask have an apology, then they ask the church to rise to say whether they approve of that or not And I had asked I had asked the Bishop the elder in charge a very good friend of mine I said, please don't ask them to stand because I know some won't and then I'll know who don't stand So after I was done he gets up and he says, all those who accept Jason's apology, would you please rise? And I just, I just made a beeline for the door. I didn't want to know. But afterwards, there were faithful people who were there who told me who didn't stand. Okay. But you see, that caused me problems. Now I had to forgive them all over again. You see, it was that, see, anger and bitterness has a way of gripping us and we have to get free of it. It's the only way we can represent Jesus by canceling people's debt. And sometimes we have to keep on canceling it repeatedly because we see people, we get... And sometimes you live with a situation, maybe you even live with a person that you have to do an ongoing forgiveness of. Are are you with me a little bit? It it becomes a way of life because we are a representative of Jesus and he lives within us. And so we are his child. So when you know how wealthy you are, now you can cancel the debt. Jesus' number one nature is compassion, revealed by his forgiveness, 70 times 7 we can forgive only when we know in our heart how great a, in our heart how great a sinner we are, how much we're loved, how much we've been forgiven and how rich we are as a child of God. Then we can forgive people. That's how we can forgive people. Resentment toward God, resentment toward God gives us an offense to rehearse and that offense then becomes justification for acting in ways we would otherwise say is wrong. Did you know a lot of people will do bad things because they're resenting God if God is this we talked about that Tuesday night if God is a good God why would he let this happen to me you see I struggled with some of that okay. why would God allow this to happen to me resentment toward our mate justifies making them pay even though we know it's wrong we can make our mate pay because we're frustrated with them and angry at them but that's wrong very wrong but we gotta be careful because resentment is bitterness getting ready to happen. Resentment toward our parents becomes an internal reason to validate a child's rebellion. And then we medicate resentment. We medicate it many different ways. And resentment becomes unrighteous anger. Resentment becomes unrighteous anger. And, and, And bitterness is anger that's gone wrong. Bitterness is anger gone wrong. Bitterness is holding somebody liable for sin instead of canceling their debt. Bitterness contradicts God's attitude toward you. Bitterness damages our family and others. Causes disease and mental disorders. Okay. An unforgiving person is an unforgiven person. That's what we're praying when we pray the Lord's Prayer. Father, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. If we can't forgive our debtors, then we can't expect God to forgive us. And here's another thing. An unconfessed sin is an unforgiven sin. Did you know that you don't have to ask God for forgiveness? God has already forgiven us. Christ forgave us on the cross. God forgave us in Christ on the cross. But what he says, we access that forgiveness through confession. Confession is agreeing with God that what we did was wrong. And so when we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He confession, when we confess our sins, we access God's forgiveness. It's a beautiful picture. A local businessman molested a young girl while he was in his teens. I, You know, over the years, and I've been... Getting to be an old man, but I listen to a lot of stories. But this is a story I listened to. Her anger, at, uh, a local businessman molested a younger girl while he was in his teens. Her anger and reaction today when seeing his company's vehicles. You see, he owns a company and he, he, their vehicles drive around with, with, with the company name on it. And she told me, whenever I see one of his vehicles, I just, I just tighten up with anger and frustration. You see, what if you're a perpetrator? What if you have hurt somebody else? This is important for us to see. What if we're the one who caused hurt and we know we have? Restitution. Restitution. Ask yourself, don't, don't think about what you did to them. Just like that uncle, he went back and asked forgiveness for what he did. But we need to ask, you know, when we did that, what, what, did, what debt did we incur within them? What did I take from them? What debt of pain have I inflicted in their heart? And then we need to go back, acknowledge that debt, own it, and then we go back and ask them if they can find a place to cancel the debt that you have caused them in their heart. And usually, if you go back and and they see you totally repentant and you go with the right spirit and the right attitude, very few people will, will tell you they won't forgive you because they want to see. When we... When we know that somebody else connects with the hurt and pain that's in our life, we, we get, we're very ready to cancel the debt and, and forgive people. Okay, but they have to, we have to see that they connect with the pain that they've caused in our heart. Brokenness is accepting God's healing for my wounds and my failures. Father, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. To forgive a debt, we must know what the debt is. So... Uh, I, we're we're going to run out of time. But let me just briefly show you what the hand... I'm going to bring some of these papers tomorrow night, and I'll have them up front. You may come up and get them. I think I'll just lay them on the, on the front desk uh, bench here, and you can come and get them. There's going to be three papers. Here's this one. The, what you do is here's how you identify the debt. Uh, can you read that up there? The first, the first place, the first uh, space is the person who has hurt me. And then the next thing is what they did to hurt me, and I tell people to put numbers in, one, two, three, four, whatever. What they did to hurt me. And then the third one is the emotional debt. What this took from me, the pain it caused me to feel, and what they owe, what they owe me. And and there's a paper that has emotional pain words on that you can use to fill out the third column there. It's, it's, it's something I work through with people over and over again it, is, it works it, act, it, it really does work well and then there's this prayer I don't know if you can read it or not but the, I don't think we're going to spend the time to read it but it is a powerful prayer I don't like canned prayers but this one was put together very thoughtfully and very carefully out of a few different uh, ideas and thoughts but it's thank you Jesus for taking forgiveness out of my hands it's not an option you simply said I must do it on my own, I can't forgive, but for your sake, Jesus, as an act of my will, I give you right, the right, I, I give you the right, I felt was mine, to throw people into a debtor's prison. And then it goes on. And it's a very complete prayer. And it has some places there to fill in the co- first column, the second column, and the third column. And I, I just believe that if you're struggling with some, for, some bitterness and some anger and unforgiveness, this is a way that you can get free. So I'll bring those tomorrow night. I'll have them up here on the front bench if you, if you want them. And if you have any questions, I'll try and answer that as well. And then that's the, that's the ending of the prayer. And then we have a sign at the bottom of it. That's what I call the sign of remembrance. When you cancel somebody's debt and you go through this, this uh, prayer, I have people sign that, the date, the time, and the place. And here's why. It's a tool to use against Satan. Because I can promise you, when you forgive somebody... You forgive somebody, Satan's going to keep on bringing it up that you didn't forgive them or that you're not forgiven. And I tell people, take it, I, it's on a paper, so you can put the, the name, police, and I have people do that. But I say, when you go home, go upstairs in your closet, open and inside the closet, write the date, time, and place, transfer this onto the wall. When anybody else sees it, they're going to think that's when you painted the room. But when Satan tells you that you didn't forgive them, you can say, come along with me, and you can go up there and say, Satan... I canceled that debt. I put that under Jesus blood and you can't accuse me anymore. He's the accuser of the brethren and he don't want you to be free and he's going to accuse you and tell you you're not forgiven and you haven't been forgiven and you haven't forgiven others. So that is a powerful statement that you can take and you can you can point Satan to that and say, "You can't do this to me anymore." And when he knows that, I had to do that twice before he let me alone. But he knew I had to sign. He knew he, he knew that he he couldn't uh he couldn't bypass that. Uh, we already sang this. Let's sing one verse of it again, uh, and, and then we're going to be dismissed, okay? Uh, but before we do, let's just ask God to make this so, such a truth that we, we can just keep on forgiving people, we can make it a way of life. Father, thank you. Uh, on Calvary, you, you canceled our debt. You paid the debt in full that we owed you, and you want us to do the same. We are to forgive others, as you have forgiven us, and you forgave us totally and completely, not half-hearted, not in part, but totally. And we are so grateful for that forgiveness. Would you give us the grace to pass that forgiveness on to others? And we beg this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Okay, let's stand, sing it, and after that, you're dismissed. I then shall live as one who's been forgiven.